Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to see you folks here tonight and others who are joining us on Zoom. Welcome as well. It's good to have had Pastor Brad and Lori Lynn with us this morning and uh, thankful that they're able to come. Uh, as they come to visit, uh, we put Brad to work and so does Braden, so that's okay. I think it's all in the family. I'll call now Pastor Brad to come and read the scripture and lead us in prayer if you would, Pastor. Our scripture reading tonight uh, is found in Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, down to chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, again, our main focus is the first part of uh, Colossians chapter 2, uh, but this helps to uh, set it in, uh, in, its, uh, in its context. So Colossians chapter 1, I'll start reading uh, at verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church." whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. For I would have that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Well, may the Lord help us to be rooted and grounded in Christ as the word of God is fulfilled in us. Let's pray together. 
Lord our God, your word calls us often to thanksgiving. This text likewise urges us to abound in thanksgiving. Help us to understand what is ours in Christ, what it means to be able to sing complete in him. Help us to understand, Lord God, that these eternal truths stand, whatever our circumstances, whatever the trials we face. Help us to know more about Jesus, that we might be well grounded in your word, that we would not be moved, we would be anchored firmly to the promises of God. Help us, Lord God, to abound in thanksgiving because of our Redeemer. We have been reconciled, we who are enemies, estranged from God, reconciled through the death of his Son. O Lord, our God, help us to recognize what it is to be raised together with Christ and to have, through Christ, a hope of glory. Indeed, Lord God, we ought to abound in thanksgiving. We pray, Lord God, that we would long to dig our roots deeper, to make sure our foundation is secure, and may we not be moved about by every wind of doctrine. Lord our God, I pray that you would grant to your people discernment and understanding, and even as Paul requests here, that we would achieve this full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of his will, O oh Lord, our God, we pray that you would make us strong. Please, Lord God, be with those who are passing through particular times of affliction and trial. They come upon us all as your word said they would. And we pray, Holy Father, that you would help us to understand the resources we have so that even in the midst of trial we might rejoice, knowing that these things are always in your hand and always for what is good and best. Lord, help us to trust you in every circumstance we face. We would also ask, Lord God, again, that you would continue with the efforts of mission. We thank you for calendars that have been distributed today and the ones that will be distributed coming uh, going forward. And we pray, Lord God, that each one who participates would be encouraged. We ask, Lord God, for rich blessing from this ministry. And we ask, Lord, that this would... Uh, just to be a beginning of your working in the lives of those who receive uh, these, these texts. We pray, Father, that your word, powerful and effective like a double-edged sword, would be at work in these homes. We ask, Holy Father, that you would continue to minister your word in other places. We thank you for the brethren and sisters in India who are working there. We ask that you would equip them and strengthen them and encourage them. And others, Lord God, we think of the work that has gone on in Portugal for years, and we pray that there would be rich blessing on that. We ask, Father, that everything that is said and done would bring glory to your name, that Christ would be upheld and made clear. O oh Lord, we thank you that you have manifested your gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to preach him. Help us to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified as we come to your word, and may it work powerfully in our lives until we are conformed to the image of your dear Son. So thank you, Father, for these times together as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word, as we give our gifts. Lord, in everything, may your name be exalted. We thank you for this time together this evening. 
Lord, strengthen us, we pray, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Pastor Brad, it's your turn. All right, let's come before the Lord and pray together. Father, we pray that by your grace we truly would have a hunger to know more about Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that all that we need is found in him. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. We are complete in him. Christ is all and in all. O Lord, may the themes of this short letter resonate in our hearts and drive us, Lord God, ever deeper into the understanding of this great and glorious gospel. This gospel that saves us, reconciles us, and gives us hope. O Lord, our God, help us to rejoice in you. So strengthen us, we pray, Lord God. May your name be exalted as we look to your word. May your spirit help us that we might truly grasp and apply these important truths. So help us, we ask, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. On uh, Thursday evening, we looked at Paul's prayer report in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 12, and we outlined uh, there the importance Paul placed on our knowledge. Knowing God's will enables us to walk worthy of the Lord. Knowing God himself enables us to wait patiently for him and to trust the ways that God is working in our lives. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul summed this up with the prayer request that he is praying for the Colossians that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. <coughs> so this goal is that they would increasingly know the Lord. And the text that I want to look at at the beginning of chapter 2 primarily uh, is a, an expansion on this theme, if you like. Uh, having introduced it, having prayed about it, now he's going to explain a little bit more about the importance of this knowledge. Uh, and he compares knowledge to a treasure. It's the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. In picking up on this, of course, that he's basing it on drawing it from the imagery of the Old Testament. Uh, you perhaps remember Psalm 19, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Or the uh, the beginning verses of Proverbs chapter 2, uh, where the, the father urges his son as he uh, grows up into manhood, perhaps leaves home and so on. He's encouraging his son to search for wisdom like a hid treasure. This is more precious than anything you're going to dig out of the, the ground. But as the ever practical pastor, Paul is not underlining, and neither of these other passages, of course, Paul is not just desiring and waxing poetic about knowing things. He wants us to make use uh, of them. Let's say that you were rooting around in your grandmother's jewelry box and you came out with this piece that you kind of liked and you thought, well, maybe maybe I'll wear that someday. And so you wear it and then somebody who knows about these things uh, sees you at the event where you are and says, you're wearing that? that that's worth millions. Uh, what a grandmother you had. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's worth millions. Uh, would you ever wear it again? Or would you get yourself to the bank vault and, and store it away? Well, the idea is that something that is worth that much should be seen in public. 
And that's what Paul wants with the knowledge of God. He wants us to know the Lord, to search out these treasures of wisdom and knowledge, more precious than any uh, jewelry you're going to discover in any old jewelry box, something that's far more precious than this. And he wants you to wear it in public. He wants it to be seen in your life. He wants it to have an impact on the way that, uh, that you live. Now, uh, like the, the, the church in Rome, Paul apparently had never been to Colossae either. At least that's what most commentators assume from the line at the end of chapter 2, verse 1, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Uh, most assume that Colossae was a, a branch work of Ephesus. It wasn't that far away, and uh, Paul was in Ephesus, you remember, for some time. Uh, and some of the names are, are parallel and so on. Uh, so he's not met these believers personally, but he knows the dangers that they're going to face. Uh, as you read the book of Acts and follow through on Paul's mission, you realize that he keeps coming across the same kinds of dangers, the same kinds of errors. And so as he progressed in his mission, uh, as he learned more and more about what to expect, uh, Paul wrote these letters in anticipation of the, the challenges that are going to come against them. The letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians are similar in a number of regards. They, they cover a lot of similar territory. Even some of the languages uh, is almost, uh, almost parallel. But the difference is that in Ephesus, there's not much evidence of a major issue in the church at that time. Uh, the only kind of statement that Paul makes uh, is in chapter 3, where he doesn't want them to be discouraged, uh, to lose heart because of Paul's sufferings. Uh, but in the case of the Colossian letter, even though he deals with many of the same themes, it's a little more urgent. There is an issue here, and the issue, not unlike Hebrews, is to find something other than Christ or in addition to Christ to enhance our relationship with God. That there is something not provided by Christ that we still need. Now, what that something is uh, would change from place to place, but the notion that there was something more that we needed, Paul seeks to destroy. He wants to uh, crush that. He doesn't want the Christians for a moment to think uh, that, uh, that they need anything other than Christ. So knowing these dangers, Paul writes this letter and directs them towards the Lord Jesus Christ. All of Paul's writings are, are centered on the cross, centered on Christ and the gospel. But in Colossians especially, you notice that. Uh, Christ is all and in all. That's a statement from Colossians. We already read that we are complete in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ uh, and so on. Uh, so as you read the letter, watch for that. He's underlining the significance of the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. And it's in that connection that he expands on this theme of understanding and knowledge because he knows that that's a point of attack. That's a point of danger. Those who are seeking to undermine what Paul is doing, what the Lord is doing in building up his church, are going to attack them on the level of understanding. Other levels too, but certainly on this level. And that's what he wants especially to address. So what I want to look at tonight is really three 
things that grow out of this this prayer for knowledge that Paul makes for this church, this longing that Paul has. And and the first thing I wanted you to notice, especially in verse 2, is that Paul sees this treasure as being that which encourages growing Christians. Uh, Assuming this church is fairly young, as as Paul writes to it, he's heard about their faith. He tells us that in chapter 1. I heard of your faith in Christ, the love which you have to all the saints, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, uh, and and so on. I've heard of this. I learned it of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, and, and so on. And therefore, he prays for them. And and here he expands, as I said, a little bit on that prayer. Colossians 2, verse 2. Uh, what I long for you and for others who haven't seen my face is that your heart might be comforted, being knit together in love, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Paul sees treasure in knowledge, in this full understanding of the gospel. Paul sees confidence. uh, He sees acknowledgement of God. He sees comfort. uh, All of these things come out of this treasure. So you're a young Christian. You're just beginning to grow in Christ. Paul hears about you, and he begins to pray uh, that that you truly would be well grounded in Christ. Now, throughout chapter 2, even, restricting ourselves to that one chapter, Paul refers to the church by different metaphors. Uh, there's the picture of plants being rooted in Christ uh, in, uh, in uh, verse 7. Rooted in him. So like a plant needs good roots. It needs to find a good water source so it can draw its nourishment. Uh, Not unlike Jesus talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can bear much fruit if you abide in me. Uh, Something along that that line. And he also, of course, uses the building imagery, rooted and built up in Christ. This morning we talked about Christ, our cornerstone. Uh, And so we need to be built on that foundation of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, we noticed uh, uh, in verse 24 of chapter 1 in our scripture reading, but also later uh, in, uh, in chapter 2, he refers to the church as the body of Christ. Uh, another way of, of speaking, and Paul likes to use the imagery of, of body to again underline that we are connected to the head, who is Christ, uh, but also the idea that everything needs to do its bit. Uh, we need to work together in order to uh, draw our nourishment from Christ. And, and so Paul says, you know, one of the first things I think about praying when I hear about your situation and others like you who have just come to faith in Christ and are just beginning in these things, I pray that they would be knit together in love. There's tremendous encouragement and strength for growing Christians when we are knit together. It is beautiful to get a vase of of cut flowers uh, on your your table, but you know that as soon as you cut those flowers, their life expectancy grows remarkably short. Uh, A a week from now, uh, what might have been a token of your great affection my anniversary is Tuesday, right? Uh, so you might have given these this bouquet of, of cut flowers or something like that. Uh, but in a week, 
boy, if you tried to hand that bouquet to someone, they would not get that impression, right? It, it started to wilt and, and so on. For flowers to keep flourishing, they need to be rooted. They, they need to be in the ground. A, a skid of bricks delivered to your lot is not a house. And as he points out here, a ball of yarn is not a sweater. You need to be knit together in order for these things uh, to, to have their effect. When we are woven together, then we are most safe, and then we are most likely to be growing. Why does it matter? Uh, well, again, there's all kinds of reasons in Paul's letters why this matters, that we be knit together. But the one stated here is to grow to attain the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Isn't it odd that in our day you will often hear that doctrine is divisive, it divides, it drives us apart? Paul would never say anything like that. I mean, we can use it to be divisive, but in Paul's view, that's the thing that knits us together. If we come to the full assurance of understanding, that's what binds us together in this mission we have. That's what enables us to join together in prayer uh, and, and so on. Without that foundation of knowing Christ, of increasing in the knowledge of God, we begin to unravel, to keep the imagery of being knit together. And so he's, he's underlining that we need to be grounded in Christ and we help each other grow to a fuller understanding. So how does he describe this in verse 2? Unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Uh, first of all, maybe just a word about the word mystery, the mystery of God that he uses toward, <clears throat> towards the end of the verse. <clears throat> what does the New Testament generally mean when it uses the word mystery? Uh, it's helpful that Colossians actually defines what Paul means by the word mystery in verse 26 of chapter 1. The mystery, the mystery is that which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. What's a mystery in biblical terms? Not in Perry Mason terms, but in biblical terms, what's a mystery? A mystery is something that God has always had planned. You remember the phrase from before the foundation of the world and so on. Something that has always been in the mind of God, but only recently uncovered. We think of mystery as something that if I apply myself and, myself and I have good deductive reasoning and so on, I might be able to solve it. But that's not how the Bible uses the word. You will never figure out the divine mystery unless God tells you. And Paul is saying, that's the glory of the coming of Christ. God just told us. That which was in the mind of God, that was long planned, has now been made manifest to his saints, to the, those who believe in Jesus. It has been made known. He then, in verse 27 of chapter 1, defines something of the content of that mystery. Uh, this is the mystery that God would make known, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is this about? What is finally been revealed? That in relationship to Christ, our hopelessness meets its end. We have hope 
not just for tomorrow and not just for the week to come. We have the hope of glory. And again, to define our terms, we sometimes use hope as a very weak expression of our best attempt at optimism. Some of us aren't very good at optimism. Uh, but, but we, you know, our hope is kind of equivalent to, well, I kind of hope so. But that's not how the Bible uses the word. Hope is something that is absolutely certain because God is doing it and God can't fail. It just hasn't arrived yet. That's why it's hope. Remember Romans? We're saved by hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. You've got it then. Uh, but we are anticipating this, but it doesn't mean it's doubtful. It's completely sure because of Christ. And so this, this mystery in this case, the, the word is used to, to point to different things in other passages. But in this case, it is this idea of Christ in you that is so transforming that in the midst of the despair of our age, we have not only hope, but the hope of glory. In chapter 4 and verse 3, he uses the word again, and there he calls it uh, that he wants to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds. And in that case, it's essentially equivalent to the word gospel, right? The, the message that Paul wants to preach everywhere, he calls it the mystery of Christ, the message of salvation that is now clear because God has made it known. Uh, it was unclear to us, but now it is clear. Remember that text in 2 Timothy that Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There is revelation. Now, how does that fit in? Well, the point is that these treasures of wisdom and knowledge have been uncovered now that Christ has come. Uh, and so we need to know him if we are going to understand this astounding mystery of salvation, the, the glory of this gospel, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. In Philippians 3, in Paul's testimony, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's what counts above all, that I may know him. Back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, uh, as I've already quoted two or three times, Christ is all and in all. So what's the basis of this kind of assured understanding? Acknowledging the mystery of God. Coming to understand what God has done in Christ. That's what we need to know. We need to be well grounded in the gospel. Paul talks about this, this wisdom as being rich. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge uh, it, it's a rich treasure, the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Uh, we need to know the truth as it is in Jesus. Everything that we need for life and godliness, Peter will say in his second letter, uh, is, is provided for us through Christ. And, and so it's rich, but it's also required. There is no hope outside of Christ. This hope of glory it's not just that Christ is one option, maybe the best option to, to get to the hope of glory, but there are others. There are no other options. Uh, it, this is the way, uh, and, and there is no other way. And it's always relevant because it's God's revelation. It's always applicable. This is not just when we study the Bible, a matter of historical or archaeological significance, an artifact of some other age and time. It's still the way to be right with God. 
The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are still found in Christ. That's where the full riches of this understanding are going to be found. And therefore, the valuing of this knowledge is, in Paul's mind, an essential mark of the Christian. Maybe your experience was something like this. Uh, a few weeks ago, one of my professors from 40 years ago at seminary passed away, Lee Powell. Um, some of you may have, may have known him. Uh, and his son posted a testimony. Uh, he had interviewed his father some a few years ago and had recorded this, uh, and he reposted it uh, after his father passed away. And one of the things that he said on this, uh, in his testimony was that as a young man, he was full of disdain for the Christian faith. Uh, his brother, however, had become a Christian and invited him to go. He was from England and, and was visiting his brother in London. He invited him to go hear Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he happened to be preaching on the text in, in 1 Peter, gird up the loins of your mind. And the Lord worked in his heart. He began to realize that there was something here. What he had dismissed as being kind of thoughtless, and as we said this morning, kind of childish, as the world often sees it to be, suddenly he began to realize that there was substance here. And he realized the truth of his conversion when he realized that this disdain for Scripture had become an insatiable hunger to know more. Maybe some of you had that experience as well, that the Bible was meaningless, boring. Uh, you would yawn and stretch all through a, a, a teaching session in the Word of God, and then God works in your life, and all of a sudden you can't get enough of it. You want to be in the Word. Well, Paul sees that as an important mark of being a Christian. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. This mystery is uncovered to us in God's revelation through Christ and encapsulated in the scriptures. And so now we hunger for this. We long to know more about it. So that's the first thing. This is a treasure that encourages a growing Christian. It points us in the way we should go. It's the material that, uh, that we need to understand so that we might grow. But I mentioned earlier that as Paul writes to these churches, and in this, uh, this letter is no exception, as Paul writes to these Christians, he's also very much concerned about the dangers they're facing. And so he sees this treasure of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. He sees that treasure as important to guard us. We need that full assurance of understanding because we are going to face these dangers. Uh, just three things that, uh, that we can notice in this letter, and, and of course all kinds of things will come at us, but here's three things that are common. There are difficulties that afflict us. We read that in chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Uh, Paul talks about his sufferings. They are the afflictions of Christ in the sense that, not that they're the, not Christ's suffering on the cross, of course, but the afflictions of the Messiah, the, the suffering that goes about as God establishes his kingdom. And it was always thus. Uh, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus points out that they treated the prophets the same way they're going to treat you. Uh, don't be surprised when tribulation and suffering comes across your path. And that was Paul's experience. Uh, imagine 
you know, when, when uh, God, Christ, appears to Ananias and tells him to go and baptize uh, the Saul of Tarsus, uh, and, and Ananias is floored. You've got to be kidding. Uh, this man will arrest and, if possible, kill any Christian who comes within 15 feet of him, and you want me to go and, uh, and baptize him. And, uh, of course, the, the Lord, um, I mean, we can say what we want, but the Lord gets his way, right? Uh, and, and so the, the Lord explains to Ananias uh, that he is my chosen vessel. This is what he's going to do. And among those things... Remember, Ananias hasn't even gone to Saul of Tarsus yet, Paul the Apostle. Uh, among the things that, that Christ tells Ananias, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul says, I know the afflictions of Christ. And there are dangers connected to that. We might be drawn away. And yet, this knowledge of Christ, Paul sees as being of value deceptions that attract us. Chapter 2, verse 4. This I say about these treasures of wisdom and knowledge, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. No one ever beguiles you with unenticing words, right? Uh, the, the devil comes at us in a way that appeals to us. Otherwise, it wouldn't be much of a temptation. Uh, if somebody comes up and whispers in my ear, hey, why don't we go to the dentist and get a tooth filled? I can resist that with, without any difficulty. But if the, the word blizzard and you know chocolate-covered cherries figure into this, then I have more of a struggle. These are enticing words. They're going to fit things that go along with the Colossian believers. And, and that's the temptation, because the tempter can make bad things sound good. That's why it's a problem. And so imagine somebody coming to you and say, well, you know what? If you would just talk less about the Trinity then people will be able to accept the gospel more. When you start talking about the Trinity, it gets a little too mysterious for people. Or you should downplay talk about the cross. Our society doesn't like talk like that. And, and it's a temptation because it's the motive sounds on the surface to be good. People will hear better. More people will come to the gospel. This was a big fad, remember back in the 80s or 90s, the, the seeker-sensitive idea. You downplay the subject of sin because that turns people off and, and, and so on. We, we do need to be wise and speak well. Paul will get to that in Colossians 4. Uh, and, and speak winsomely and so on. But that destroys the gospel. Remember how furious Paul was when the Corinthians debated whether or not the resurrection was already passed. They're thinking they're just modifying things. Same thing with the Galatians. They think they're just making some tweaks to make the gospel better. And Paul's aghast. <laughs> you just blew the gospel out of the water. You just destroyed it. There is no gospel without the resurrection. There is no gospel without the cross. There is no gospel without Christ, who is son of David and son of God. There is no gospel without that. The temptation sounds good, but it destroys everything. Don't think so much of eternity. Make your gospel more about the practical and social benefits of Christianity. 
Don't be so restrictive in your lifestyle. That turns people off. And Paul says, don't be beguiled by enticing words. Stand your ground. Know the truth. Watch out for those deceptions. At the end of chapter chapter 2, Verse 16 and following, he talks about uh, meat and drink and respect of holy days and new moons and Sabbaths, the shadows of things to come. The Old Testament scriptures were vitally important to lead us to Christ, but they were shadows, they were pictures, they were types. And we can get so caught up in the external ways of expressing faith that we miss the heart. And so Paul warns them, this is beguiling, this is leading you astray. There's all kinds of threats. But what protects us? Well, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ. If you know that you are complete in Him, where else are you going to look? If you know that what you need is found in Christ, why would you go elsewhere? If you're complete in Him, If in Christ you have the hope of glory, that protects you from these temptations. It exposes the lie that someone is trying to give you hope in something other than Christ and the gospel. But the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That's what God has revealed. Don't let go of that. He talks in chapter 1, about uh, the Father who has made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn uh, of every creature, and so on. Look at Christ. Go over that passage and don't shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's for the theologians. Paul's writing it to the Christians because we need to know Christ. We need to be grounded in the gospel. And this protects us from the dangerous enticement of these words that beguile us. Review the gospel again and again. Come back to the scriptures again and again. Meditate on it day and night. Jerry Bridges used to love the quotation, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Always in the gospel. Always being reminded of our foundation and how glorious that is. Which leads to the third aspect of this treasure of wisdom and knowledge in Christ that I wanted you to notice In verses 5 through 7 of chapter 2, I've titled this The Treasure That Grounds Pilgrim Christians as we make this journey. Uh, My distinctions are maybe a little too fine. Uh, Verse 2, I underlined as new believers needing to look to Christ and this growing understanding. Here I'm thinking of perhaps somewhat more mature believers, but maybe the whole distinction falls apart. Uh, Nonetheless, Look at what he says here. Uh, He wants them to remember this so that no one beguiles them with enticing words in verse 4. Verse 5, Though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. 
So even though Paul is writing these warnings, he's actually quite pleased with this church because they have a steadfast faith. They are holding steady, and that's good. But Paul knows these dangers and these pressures are going to come. And so the reason I use the expression pilgrim Christians is because here again we have a use of the word walk, which Paul happens to like to describe what it is to live a Christian life. What does he say? Well, first of all, he goes back to the beginning. Having received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's a sense in which what we need to know is built into the gospel. Now, when you first become a Christian, you need to grow in your understanding. That was the point of verse 2. But at the same time, the fundamentals that you need to know are already there. A couple of weeks ago, we attended a first birthday party. Uh, not the first birthday party we've been to, but I mean... You understand what I mean, right? The, the, the kid was a year old. That, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, what the parents had done, they had, of course, this being the uh, age of documenting everything by, by pictures, uh, they, they had a string of pictures hanging up from the, the baby picture, uh, and then, you know, the, the one month, the two month, the three month, and you could see the, the progress and, and the development. And at the birthday party, uh, the, the young lad was was running around. I mean, he's uh, walking, well, running may be an exaggeration, but, but he's walking pretty well for uh, somebody who's 12 months old. Uh, and, and it was, was interesting. I, I looked at those pictures for a bit. I thought, well, that's kind of, uh, of neat to see the progress. Now, in the one-month picture, you could see legs on the kid, but they didn't do much. But they were certainly doing something at 12 months, but they're the same legs. They've just grown. They're, they're, it's there in essence, but it needed development. And it's still going to be a little while before he drives off to college uh, using those, those same legs. But you get the idea. And, and this is what Paul is saying here. How did you become a Christian? You become a Christian, according to Romans 10, when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth, right? Uh, we confess that Jesus is Lord. That's foundational. But as a baby Christian, have you worked out all the implications of confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord? Uh, well, of course not. In fact, as you reach every stage of life, there's new implications to this that you, ha you have to learn. And so there's this whole learning process, but the essence of it, the core of what it means to be a Christian, was there on the very first day. The very first day you became a Christian, the very day you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were justified by faith and at peace with God. That's why when Paul writes in Colossians 1.21, you were alienated, but now he's reconciled you, he's talking about something that's already happened. Your relationship with God is eternally changed the moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also prays that you would increase in the knowledge of God. <laughs> you know the Lord, you confess Jesus as Lord, but there's work to be done. And what helps us along the way? The treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ. So that's what I was trying to get at with my, my title, The Treasure That Grounds Pilgrim Christians. 
We're on a journey. We're in a process. The process has begun. And the basic principles are already there. But they need to grow and develop. As you receive Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. And then he elaborates. How? Well, rooted and built up in Him. So if we have the conception as we receive Jesus as Lord, then there's the construction to be built up in Christ. Now, the the process of construction does uh, does not particularly run smoothly. Uh, We had a couple start coming to our church recently uh, who had just retired to Aurelia, and apparently that's what you do with Aurelia. Uh, You retire to it. Uh, But that's what they had done. Uh, And uh, and they had bought a cottage that they had thought they could renovate sufficiently, but quickly discovered the more prudent course was to tear the thing down and start over. Uh, And and they were sharing last week at at lunch a few of the challenges, uh, and anyone who's undertaken a, a building project knows this. The, the utilities wouldn't show up on, on time. You know, they'd call for the natural gas hookup and it would be, you know, two months we, we might be able to squeeze you in or something like that. And, and so all of these, these challenges and difficulties, uh, it, it's not a smooth course, but the house is getting built. Uh, they still have a bit of hope remaining that they'll be in by Christmas and, and, and so on. Uh, and in the Christian life, it's something like that. Uh, it faces its challenge. It's not smooth sailing uh, from our first calling until we're united with him in glory. The pilgrim journey is difficult, but be rooted and built up in him. That's what enables us to make progress. The teaching grounds us. And notice how Paul puts it. Rooted and built up, this is verse 7 of chapter 2, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. It was there at the beginning. This is the gospel. This is what you were told about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now build on it. Grow, make progress as you have been taught. A a different picture is found in Ephesians 4, but roughly the same idea. Remember there, he talks more of a sailing imagery, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, uh, and and so on. But the, the solution is the same, even if the image is slightly different. The whole body joined together, every part doing its work, builds itself up in love as the truth is being spoken. The truth as it is in Jesus. And we withstand the storms by every part doing its work, grounded in Christ, grounded in the truth. He gives an example of the process in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you're familiar with a similar expression in Ephesians, there it's be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But being filled with the Spirit and the word of Christ dwelling in you richly are not different. They are parallel things. Uh, They work together. Through the word of God, the teaching grounds us so that we're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. We're grounded in the treasures of wisdom 
that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the word of Christ dwells richly in us, there's that word again, as it dwells richly in us, we contribute to the well-being of the whole. So the pilgrimage begins by receiving Jesus as Lord. Uh, It continues as we are built up in him. The conclusion is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ultimately, it leads us home. Now, most of what we've been looking at in Colossians 2, verses 1 to 8, the focus is on the present. Uh, But as he begins chapter 4, or chapter 3, rather, he brings us to look farther ahead. Since you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. You see, we're grounded in Christ. Well, where is Christ? He's in glory. The work has been completed. He has redeemed us. There is forgiveness of sins. He has received the name above every name. In everything, Christ has the preeminence. He has already arrived. And so keep your focus on Him. You've been raised together with Christ. That's where we're headed. That's the goal. That's our home. That, that's what, what we have in Him. And so he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That, that fits, right? Protects us from getting so caught up with the present that we forget about the goal. You are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And he goes on to give all kinds of practical instructions as to how that works out. One of the richest of these treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ is the resurrection from the dead. How helpful it is to remember that in the midst of trial. Paul does that in 2 Corinthians 1, do you remember, where he talks about the comfort that only comes from God, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And he says, we despaired even of death, but God, who raises the dead, (laughs) comforted us. There's comfort in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is help to keep us on focus, and Paul uses it in that way. You've been raised together with Christ. And so don't let one another forget this in the midst of trial. When we're feeling weighed down, remind each other that God raises the dead. That's who our God is. Remind each other that Christ is the creator of everything, as chapter 1 said. By him all things were created, in heaven, in earth, the visible, the invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Don't forget that. Remind each other of that. When the rogue nations of our world are scaring us by all of their saber rattling, remind each other that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he will have the preeminence. Don't let anything rob you of the hope you have in Christ. Don't become discouraged thinking that we lack resources. And don't believe it when the Christian faith is scorned as being childish. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. That doesn't mean we know them all. We must not be proud and boastful. But it means we know where they all are. 
and we know where we need to look, that we might be grounded in Him. He is our life. There's that great picture in John 10, the end of the section on Christ the Good Shepherd, where Jesus says words of great comfort and assurance. No one can pluck them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. No one plucks them out of my Father's hand. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ that will encourage young Christians to grow, that will protect all Christians from the dangers that entice us, and that will ground us in our walk until that day when we are with Him in glory. And none of this can fail, grounded as it is in Christ. We need to know that. We need to pray for one another as Paul did, that our hearts might be comforted, knit together in love, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Dig up these treasures and you'll never be wanting. Help each other come to the full assurance of understanding in Christ and to be established as we have been taught. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that when these letters were written, they were written under the direction of the Holy Spirit so that they are true and they speak exactly to what we need to know. Please use your word powerfully and effectively so that we would lay hold of Christ and never let go. More significantly, Help us to realize that Christ has laid hold of us and will never let us go. Thank you, Lord. May the full assurance of understanding be ours in Christ. Help us to grow. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.